0: Well greetings. It's so good to be with you today and uh, to speak with you. And I want to just start by sharing a story. I was 20 years old and uh, I was a student at Cape Technicon as it was called at the time. And uh, a radical thing happened to me. It was uh, about my second year, and I had uh, been taken a really long break from serving and following Jesus, and uh, really uh, grew up in a, in a home that believed in Jesus. My parents set a fantastic example. Most of my siblings, too, uh, followed Jesus and, and loved him. And yet, for some reason, at about age 13, I decided I didn't need that stuff. And uh, did everything I could to, in a sense, uh, try my own stuff and and go my own way. And uh, come second year of uh, studies, something radical happened. Easter morning, I woke up and was really uh, on my own, uh, had this deep revelation that God was with me. That in the message of the gospel, God really had come to show me his love. And, and I, I could tell you story after story of how I began to experience the love of God that began to move in my heart. A really rebellious, a really uh, a sort of difficult student who had tried so much and was such a hyper individualist, began to experience the love of God. Uh, this is me. Uh, can you believe it? Um, I tried my best to be cool, but struggled really hard. But something interesting happened. I had a buddy who at the same time, in fact, he was my flatmate, he, he too came to faith and began to follow Jesus. And a number of others at a similar time that I was studying with began to say yes to Jesus. And there were about five of us at the time. And my buddy, Mark, who was my flatmate, he made this radically outrageous suggestion that I sort of thought is nothing that I'm too keen on. He said, what about the four or five of us? Why don't we gather every Monday evening? just to talk about our faith. At first, I was kind of uncertain whether that was even worth thinking about. And then as I thought about it, I thought, okay, why not? Let's give this thing a go. I wish I could describe to you what began to unfold. We were really ordinary guys, and girls for that matter, who just pitched up. Every Monday, we had uh, two Bibles, we had one Hillsong DVD, and nothing much else. That's all we had. And, and we'd gather together in a small little lounge and uh, simply uh, open up a Bible verse. The, the one that we had read that week, if anyone had read, if nobody had read the Bible that week, we'd just try find one that seemed like we could mostly understand. Hey, then we'd speak about it and try and make sense of it if we could. And once we made a bit of sense of it, we'd try to apply it to the way that we were living. And it began to excite us because it started to make sense of the way we were living hey, then one person would usually pluck up the courage and say, we should probably pray. And we'd pray about it. <laughs> we'd, we'd try our best to pray some clumsy prayers. Nobody had taught us exactly how to pray, but most of us had an auntie or a mother or a friend or someone who had m- modeled some sort of prayer, so we'd, we'd pray. And then the trusty Hillsong CD would come out next and we'd finish every meeting by pushing play on our favorite song and we'd listen to that and the bravest guys would sing along. And let me tell you that there are few times in my life that I can describe experiencing as much of the presence and the power of God as in those early days of meeting as a clumsy, ordinary, broken bunch of people who were struggling with all kinds of addictions from sex to porn to booze to, to uh, pots, to everything else. We were struggling and we were messed up, but we started to watch God change our lives. Hey, Today I wanted to share that story with you because from the first few days of following Jesus, I began to realize that when we are together, God starts to change us. He starts to do something in us and we become better together. And Ryan reminded us uh, just last week that uh, actually we're better together because we get to experience the presence of God together. Uh, and, and he took it out of Matthew chapter 4, where uh, Jesus says, come, follow me. Jesus makes an invitation not just to, to, to be a follower of his, but to be present and to be close with him. Hey, it doesn't stop there. He says, I will make you. He's actually in the business of transforming us. Today, I want to speak primarily to us about the fact that Jesus is in the business of transforming us. He is happy to love you just as you are. But he's not content to leave you that way. He wants to change us. He wants to move us. He wants to continue to transform us. The word for that is formation. Last week, Ryan spoke about presence. Today, I'm speaking about formation. And next week, Luke will talk about mission. Mission is that sense that Jesus says, I will make you into fishes of men." He's going to send us into the world and he's going to give us a purpose and he's going to give us something to do. Hey, just like those early days when I was studying at Tech, it wasn't fancy. It was simply a case of a group of people getting together around the person of Jesus Christ and saying, Yes, I want to be present with you. Yes, I want to be formed into your image. And yes, I want to go on mission with you. Today, let's talk a little bit about this wonderful gift of formation. This wonderful thing that God calls us to, to become more like His Son, Jesus I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. And, and the question is simply this. Who are you being formed into? Or what are you being formed into? You see, this is a really important question that I'm asking you. Because uh, if, you, uh, if you think about it, I could ask you the question, are you being formed? Are you being changed? And that's actually a given. A given. The question is not, are you being formed? Every single human being on the face of this earth is being changed. The question that we need to ask is, what are we being formed into? And that answer will be the answer that will shape who you and I become. And I want to look at that today. And I also want to look at the fact that who we are becoming is going to be profoundly shaped by how we view our togetherness as the people of God, you see, God calls us not just to kind of private or personal practices. I want to show you an image of my daughter on a bike. Um, uh, we, we spent a lot of time uh, over lockdown, especially as, as Common Ground Church, coaching us into some of our personal practices, some of our uh, private practices, things like um, our disciplines of silence and solitude and scripture reading and prayer and all those things are just so fantastic. But actually, there's a whole nother part of our transformation that the New Testament speaks about, which are called the communal practices, the things we do together. Now, my daughter has a bike, and this is a really fascinating bike because she loves it, and and we really enjoy watching her ride. But as you watch her ride sometimes, there's a faulty pedal. And if she rides long enough, eventually that pedal winds off. And suddenly, she's pedaling with just her left leg, and everything goes wrong. Off! It's just a crazy thing to witness. Hey, a person who's only got their private practices right, i.e. silence, solitude, scripture reading, but hasn't got their communal practices right of meeting together and prayer and, and, and enjoying God's presence together and sharing our lives together. It's like a bike with one pedal. You simply just can't enjoy the wonders of being formed into the image of Jesus. Jesus calls us to push down both pedals, our communal practices and our private practices. And that is what brings us into a real experience of formation, of becoming like Jesus. Hey, now... Let me just take a little time to address those of us who are going, I so badly want to be together. I, I so badly want to be in a venue with some people. And let me just suggest right up front, That that I'm talking more about values than I am talking just about venues. Getting people into spaces. Yeah, we can't wait. We're so excited. There are uh, churches all around the world that are freshly enjoying the wonder of being together and seeing each other and, and just enjoying presence, which is really a biblical value, being present. Jesus came and embodied amongst us and was present to us. But I realize that for some of us, it's, it's not a reality right now. I think of the psalmist, Psalm 42, uh, who experienced this downcast soul. And one of his hopes and his excitements moving into the future was that he says, I remember when the people of God gathered together. Maybe that's like you. You're, you're hoping for a time where you can move towards a fresh experience of gathering and being together with God's people. But for now, you simply have to lay low and, and, and keep it safe. Hey, just to remind you, we're speaking about a value, not trying to get you into a venue. And, and that as you walk your journey, you will be able to take those next steps and that you will carry this value in your heart of being better together. And whatever that looks like for you, you need to read the scriptures and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to know, how do I take my next steps? How do I live out this value of community, this value of being formed into the image of Jesus together? So I hope that helps you as you may be looking in going, I don't know what my next step is. Hey, let's try work out. What does this value look like in your season? Hey, also when I'm thinking of formation, I think of my daughter on this bike. Jesus doesn't call us just to try harder. He actually calls us to train harder this is really important distinction because sometimes when we think of becoming more like Jesus, we might go, you know what? I, I, that thing like, like, for example, prayer. I, I, I tried prayer once. It just didn't work for me. Or I tried Bible reading. Or, you know, I tried that thing of, of silence and solitude. It didn't really work for me. It would be a bit like me saying to my daughter, you know what? You must ride the, the Cape Town cycle tour. And you must do it next year. I know you're only six, but you can do it. Just try harder. She would go, but I, uh, okay, I'll try. But she'd get to the start line. And, and as hard as she tried, her little legs just wouldn't take her all those kilometers. It's just not where she's at. However... If she began over the next few months and years to to train and train and train and and work at her cycling, hey, no doubt she would be able to eventually finish it once she's done the training. The same is true of wanting to become more like Jesus. If you want to become like him, don't try once or twice. No, train for the rest of your life. (laughs) I wish you could have met the guy who was in that photo sort of 17, 18 years ago. He looks nothing like the person I am today. Hey, that said, I hope that I can say the same thing in 17 years' time and then in another 20 years' time because there's still so much transformation God is going to do in this heart. It still needs so much healing, so much growth into the image of Jesus. There is so much that needs to change in all of us. That's what formation is. It's about becoming more like Jesus and training, not trying. We could try once and give up. If we train, we begin to grow, Hey, we're going to listen to a, uh, a text of scripture. Zeba's going to read it to us. But let me just give you a bit of context before we do that. This is uh, the first sermon that's ever been preached. The Apostle Peter preaches to this group of people. And there's just the most radical response you could imagine. Now, a bit of context to Peter who's preaching. Peter is this guy who was actually quite uh, uh, timid. In fact, he's been through a radical transformation himself. Just a couple of months before preaching this, Peter is in a dark corner in in, in the city of Jerusalem and a little girl comes to him and says, hey, don't you know Jesus? And Peter, this, this strong fisherman who's done so much and been through so much, looks at this little girl and says, I don't know her. He's he's got so little character. He's so afraid of the consequences. And just flash forward a few months and you see this man who has been transformed by the love and the mercy and the tenderness of Jesus standing up in front of a group of people and he preaches a message. And the message went something like this, Jesus has come to earth and is heaven and earth's true king. And, and our task as humankind is not to ignore him, but to bow the knee and say yes to him. Not because he's forcing it, but because he loves us. And he showed his love by living a life we could never live. And by dying the death, we should have died. And now our lives can be pulled back together again under his love. And he basically says, anyone who doesn't take this offer, you're crazy. Hey, the same would be true for you if, you wouldn't, uh, if you're uh, looking in at the claims of Christ. Really, I want to encourage you, just like Peter encouraged this group of people, to really consider the claims of Jesus Christ, that He is who He said He was, and that He'll do what He promises He'll do. And as we allow Him into our lives, transformation begins. We're going to check out what happens in this community when they respond to the gospel message and how it begins to form them into the image of Jesus. Let's listen as Zeba reads this text to us.
1: And they devoted themselves
0: to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow, what a text. Isn't that just so filled with uh, life and promise and, and transformed lives? I mean, what you're seeing in this early community is a group of people who are starting to witness the transforming power of God. I hope you picked that up. And, and it's all pulled together in that lovely passage in verse 44, which speaks of the fact that they were together. They were together. This, this togetherness that starts to bring about a speed of transformation. And it's just mind-blowing. Now I want to speak about five ways that essentially as we are together, we will begin to enjoy transformation. Firstly, I want to mention that habits begin to emerge. Habits begin to emerge. One of the most profound things about how you and I will begin to be changed will be by the habits that we live in. I don't know if you picked that up, but in verse 42, it says that people devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to some habits. They broke bread together. They met together in each other's homes. They met in the temple courts. They had these weekly routines and rhythms of togetherness that simply shaped who they were becoming. They realized that they needed to have some together habits because they knew that was going to shape who they were. Hey, our hearts are prone to wander, prone to leave this this God that we love, says one of the beautiful um, hymns. We're prone to, to leave God. We're prone to wander after other things. And it's our habits that continue to point us towards true north, to point us towards that which is most valuable and most important. Hey, this group of people gathered together and formed habits that shaped what they became hungry for. Look at this uh, helpful image. You see, your habits begin to shape what you become hungry for. And and what you become hungry for begins to shape the way that you act. And the way that you act essentially becomes your habits. And you can see how the cycle fulfills itself. No matter what you do. Hey, if you continuously read travel blogs and travel magazines, let me assure you, you're not going to fall in love with woodwork or knitting. You see, your habits, looking at different things, are going to form you into the person who begins to get hungry to go traveling and to enjoy things like travel. Submerge yourself in something and you begin to get hungry for it, to love it. And if you love it, your heart and your mind will find ways to express that and those will become actions and those actions will become habits and our habits will shape our hungers and the cycle continues. Hey, the same is true of our corporate habits, the way that we live together. We are a community of people who are called to help each other create habits that point us towards true north, to point us towards that which is most valuable. A friend of mine took me through a really helpful exercise just the other day, and he said, just imagine, for example, you were to relive one of your days. So let's go back. Take it now. Take a moment, even if you want to close your eyes. Go back to Thursday. Think about that day. How you woke up. Just imagine, how did, how did you wake up? And what was the first thing that you thought about? What was the first thing that you read? What was the first thing that you said? What was the, how long did it take you to think about God? How long uh, did it take you to, to, to pray or to open your Bible? Hey, whatever it may have been. Think about the next habits. How how did you engage with the first people in your home or at work? Hey, what did you think about at lunch? And what were your lunchtime routines? What were your evening routines? What was the last thing you thought about or watched or read before you went to sleep? Now, do this. Imagine you lived that day over and over and over again for the rest of your life. Here's the question. Who would you become? Would you become more or less like Jesus if you continued to live that day out over and over again? The same could be true if you reflected on your week and your weekly habits or your month or your annual habits. The point I'm trying to make is that your habits shape who you are becoming because they shape what you're becoming hungry for. And I think it would be good for us to continue to remind ourselves that if the early church needed it, we too need it. Habits of togetherness that help each other to become hungry for that which matters most. Hey, next we see that healing happens. We see that healing happens. Not only do we uh, see new habits emerging, but we also see that healing begins to happen. This passage is filled with uh, pictures and, and real uh, examples of healing. You see in verse 43, it says, miraculous signs were performed. It just speaks of God at work. But also we just see that there was this gladness and this sincerity of heart. Notice the fact that there are these people who are enjoying a whole new way of living. You can't be glad and sincere um, unless there's been some healing happening in your heart. You you can't be generous, selling possessions and property to those who have need unless a new generosity has welled up inside of you. You're going to have to have got over some stuff in your heart. There's going to need to be some real emotional, physical healing that's happened in your life. This is a story of a community who is experiencing the healing work of Jesus. Hey, we don't always like to admit it, but all of us need some healing. We need some of the work of God to come into our lives, to reorient us, to allow us to, to, to let those wounds bind up. Sometimes they're old wounds that have followed us from a long time. Sometimes they're insecurities and they, mis- they manifest in mistrust. And we look around at the world with cynicism and skepticism, unable to trust people. Here we see a healed community or a healing community learning to trust God and trust each other. Hey, as we gather together, as we learn to be community together, God begins to do a work of healing. I've seen it so many times in my own life. I've seen it so many times in other people's lives. I've shared the story, but one of the first moments of healing was actually not long after the first time I told you about my tech story and I was struggling with pornography and it was just this thing that had a grip in my mind and my heart and it was so difficult until a buddy came to me and he didn't know anything about my struggle, but all he said was, hey man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with porn. In that moment his healing and his journey became my healing because I got to say, hey, me too. And we began to help each other out. So much of our healing is not because somebody uh, prays for us, which we love to do. And as you gather together, we'll start to enjoy the healing prayers as we uh, pray for one another. But so much of it is just in the shared life, the shared stories, the shared experience of doing life together, realizing that we're not alone in this amazing journey of life. Healing happens because we're together. Notice thirdly that help gets multiplied. Help gets multiplied. Isn't this a beautiful passage where it says they sold property and possessions. And gave to anyone who had need. Isn't that profound? That there was this deep generosity that people began to share mutually towards one another. Hey when the people of God are living in the purposes of God. They began begin to help one another out. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, during the COVID season, whilst many people lost their jobs, we watched across the city and I was privileged enough to be able to administer some of the financial support that came from those who still had to those who didn't have in the season. And I got to witness the church at work and just want to encourage everyone that we are part of this happening. And the more we lean in, the more we get to hear each other's stories, the more we get to help each other. It's a profound thing, the church, when it's working properly, when we're leaning into one another's lives and hearing each other's stories, we begin to learn how to help one another. And I'm not just talking about finances. Finances are fantastic, and we need to continuously help the purposes and the plans of God through the local church financially. But what about some of the other examples? Hey, what about a dad who tenderly disciplines his child who's misbehaving in public? Hey, I know that feeling. It's fairly awkward, right? But you watch a dad who does it with grace and wisdom and he takes his child aside and, and talks to her or him graciously and helps her to understand. I, I go home and I go, you won't believe how Dave did this as a dad. I, I've learned something today. Help has multiplied to me because I'm witnessing this thing done right, right? Hey, or what about a businesswoman who's managed to just pull off her faith in such a profound way in such a difficult time called COVID? And you pick up the phone and you say, hey, I'd love to meet and just pick your brain and learn a little bit about how you've done this because your faith and the way you've done business through this time has been incredible. Can you coach me? Help has multiplied because we're learning from one another. Hey, you just know somebody who inspires you. You simply say, can I have some time with you? Or you watch your life group leaders living life in a way that you want to one day live, or whatever it may be, and we learn to get help from each other because we're together. Hey, Help is multiplied when we are together. Fourthly, humility is prized. Humility is prized. Uh, humility is such a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, humility is such a complex thing to even understand. It, it really isn't about, uh, you know, th- uh, less of us. It's about thinking less of us and, and really understanding more of God. Now, if you pick up in this beautiful passage, one of the notable things is that there are no names that are mentioned here. This is a community of people who when they uh, speak about awe and wonder and signs being performed, there are no names mentioned It's a community of people who are in awe of God. They're praising God. One of the best uh, depictions of humility I've ever understood is, is when somebody says humility is to understand what is ultimately true and real. And then to submit your life to those facts. What is absolutely true? Hey, what's absolutely true is that God is king and God is loving and God is forgiving. And we all should do well to put our lives under him and to let him coach and teach us. Jesus was so often spoken of as the rabbi, the teacher. And there's parts of Jesus' teachings that are just mind-blowingly good, right? Now you think of how many of his teachings you just read and you go, he is so wise, he's so good. Then there's other parts of his teachings that you read and you go, oh, that's pretty tough. I don't know how I'm going to pull that off. I don't know how always to love my enemy or to turn the other cheek. This stuff is, this is tough for my soul to deal with. Here's humility. Humility is to look at the goodness of God and even those parts of him that we struggle sometimes to fully understand and to trust him and to love him and, and, and to praise him joyfully. Hey, that's what humility is. Why, why is humility prized and why is it uh, helpful to transform us? Because when we're together, whether it's a small group or a large group, you look across the room and you see other people who too are under the, the teaching and the life and the love of Jesus. And they too are those who are, we're looking across and going, you're the same as me. You're also under His teaching. You've also got some stuff that's difficult to pallet, some stuff that's really challenging. You too are facing some of the stuff that, that Jesus calls you to that you know isn't easy. But you're also under His loving grace. And you're also thrilled by His mercy and His goodness. And you're also struggling through working out how to follow Him as best you can. But we're in this together. And we're all trying our best to learn under His teaching wisdom. And so humility begins to be prized because we don't have what we need, but He does. And we do it together. We coach each other. We encourage each other in humility. Hey, finally, hunger is fueled. Hunger is fueled. Notice verse 43. I think it's my favorite part of this passage. It says that everyone was filled with awe. They were filled with awe. And and right at the end, it speaks about the fact that they praised God. This is not just any ordinary verse. This speaks of the driving hungers of this community. What mattered most to them was God, was the glorious message of the gospel. They were defined by the goodness of God in the gospel. I had an interesting moment the other night as I was putting my girls to bed and my middle daughter Josie says to me, Dad, can I love God more than I love you? To which I, as a pastor, thought, absolutely, this sounds very good. I like the thought that you would love God more than me. But I'm not sure she fully understood, and I think it was a a kind of difficult issue inside of her conscience. And so I said, yes, of course you can, but let me explain it to you. And so I tried my best as a a dad explaining to a five-year-old, and I tried to say this. You see, Josie, when you love God, more than you love me, you will actually be able to love me better, and and the same is true for me. I said to her, "You see, Josie, as I love God more than I love you, or more than I love your mum, I'm actually going to be able to love them better. You see, as I love God." He helps me to get over my irritableness. You know, Josie, that I get irritable, right? Yes, Dad, you do get irritable. And my grumpiness. Yes, Dad, you do get grumpy sometimes. And all those things in me that you just know that aren't as good as they should be and aren't quite like Jesus. Yeah, Dad, those things. That If I love Jesus more than I love you, those things begin to go away and I begin to be able to love you better. I could see their eyes growing as the other kids listened in and started going, so dad, you can't sleep in on any quiet times anymore. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly right. You can't. You got to let me get my quiet times. And there was this new energy that was being sparked inside of our home as they started to realize that to be in awe of God more than anything else was actually what's best for me, what's best for others, what's best for the world. That's what it means to be a community in awe. That's what it means to be in awe of God. Same is true of you, by the way. I don't know what you may be tempted to be more in awe of. Maybe it's, it's career. Maybe it's cash. Maybe it's companionship. I, I, I don't know. But the question is, or the answer ought to be, as it always is, Jesus. We ought to be more in awe of him than anyone else. Paul Tripp puts it beautifully when he talks about the fact that we as human beings are in an awe war. Inside of our hearts, there are so many things that are vying for, number one, to be awed by us, for us to look at, whether it is cash or career or companionship or all of the above or whatever it is that you know is in your heart that you're longing for and loving. The problem is, is we can't love any of those things right. When first things aren't first. You see, as we've heard before, when first things are first, second things are better. And we as a community are called to be a team of brothers and sisters who are on an all-out awe all war to help each other, not just to understand God, but to love Him so that our hungers are realigned, so that what we are most hungry for is to know Him, to enjoy Him, and to live with Him to be with him, to become like him, and to live on mission. That's what our hungers are meant to be. Hey, what are you hungry for? If it's not Jesus, let me encourage you. We are better together. Because together we can encourage each other. We're on the front lines of the all war. And we get to spur each other on towards that all which our hearts are made for so that we can love well and live well before God. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to give you a moment to reflect. But as I've mentioned, habits, healing, help, and humility. Those are the gifts that God gives us as we are together and becoming transformed into his image. We're in an all war to become more the kind of people who are hungry for him. Let's pray and I want to lead you in some moments of reflection as we move forward. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in the gospel message, you've shown yourself to be good, to be trustworthy, to be faithful. And I pray for each of us that you would coach us to be those who shape our habits, to become those who want to grow into the image of Jesus, to be those who are longing to not just be healed, but to help others move towards healing, to not just get help, but to help others and to be servants of those around us. Oh God, not just to be humble, but to walk a journey of humility with others. Oh God, that you would coach us in our hunger so that we would be brothers and sisters, friends who help each other in this all war. This war that for our hearts to love you above all else so that we can love others better and love the world the way that you would have us love the world. We pray that by your spirit, you would coach us in this. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen.